It's officially spring, Randy. How is your garden looking? Is it flourishing? Oh, you've been to my house, Lily. You know how small my garden is and just how bad I am at tending it. I can never even remember the name of the lovely plants that are just now blossoming here. It's uh, chlamydias. <laughs> no, no, that that can't be right. Uh, I think maybe you mean camellias? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> My garden is flourishing, but unfortunately, it's all the plants that I don't want that are doing so well. Hmm. I wonder, could that be a metaphor for how we handle our approach to managing products? I mean, we've talked to people about gardening metaphors before. We talked to Andy Pullane and Amy Wagner about this. You're right. And today we have Asaf Mayer. General Manager of Castle Point Systems, novelist and also caretaker of a Tasmanian garden, who is here to chat to us about how our product culture should be more like a garden and what we can do if it isn't. And I love the fact that he uh, compares gardens to the antithesis of factories, but he also told us my favorite new fact before we started recording. He said that a wombat is basically a pillow with legs. (laughs) And for the rest of his insights into the gardening approach, you'll need to actually listen to our chat with him. So let's get right into it. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Asaf, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Can you just give us a quick intro to kick things off? What do you do now, and how did you get into product stuff in the first place? I'm a general manager of technology and product in a small startup, uh, which is very brave because my background is in product management and they put me in charge of engineering. Um, I've been in IT for about 25 years. I've been a product manager for about half of that when I I was really happy as an engineer. Um, I was all right, but it wasn't for me. And then I worked for a company and I saw, um, actually took a, a role as tech support and saw what product management is and went to the CTO and asked him, how do I get in on this goodness? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got into, into product management. Um, the past few years, I've been leading teams of product managers. And now, as I said, I'm leading a group of engineers and product managers. So we're going to talk today about feature factories. And I think we've everyone who's listening probably knows what a feature factory is. But there's a question that we don't always ask, which is, why do companies create feature factories in the first place? I think um, there's several reasons, but the two main ones I can think of is one is just traditional management. You have a company that's, um, that was a large company that grew or a recent company that just brought in a professional CEO and they're used to traditional management. Um, and even though they've heard that Taylorism is bad, they kind of gotten used to, okay, we're just going to run it like any other business. You know, what's your input? What's your output? What's your bottom line at the end of the quarter? And, you know, get on with it. And that just doesn't work on, on engineers and on complex problems. Um, the other reason, funnily enough, is tech-heavy um, founders. When you have a founder who's an SME in their field, 
they think that, well, they know everything that they need to do. So they tell the people around them to do that because they're, they're the SMEs. Um, and it's great when you're in the zero to one phase because you have the SMEs and you're going after the market and you know exactly what problem you're trying to solve. But um, it's not so good when you're trying to scale because it just can't scale when you have one person who knows everything and the others are just kind of following blindly without without a clue. So it's unintentional, but it happens. Do you think that we have sort of traditionally seen a lot more feature factories like that's been the sort of the normal way of working as well? Like it feels like a sort of dirty phrase um, and like something that no one wants to do because you know, it's it's the wrong way to do product management. But, you know, are we seeing a shift away from feature factories into like the, the kind of more modern way of doing product management? Or is there still a necessity to do this kind of feature factory style of uh, product management as well? Um, interesting. I think that our situation where in, in some cases a feature factory might work um, and if you're purely transactional in a sense if you're selling you know, fast moving consumer goods or um, desktop software that you sell and that's it um, in which case there might not be much of a relationship there might not be much of a ongoing engagement and you just really need to crank out a product and, and sell a unit of it but in product management the world is moving away from that it's all about subscription and consumption it's all about long-term engagement um even salespeople now realize it's the long-term engagement right it's not the always be closing of, of glengarry Glen Ross. it's the let's build this relationship let's help you solve your problem and stay stay it as a partnership and those models village factories just don't work they break i think along the industry it's drastically improving. It's There's certainly a lot more books and articles and videos and resources available out there today than there were um, even five years ago, definitely when I started. But um, it, the fight is not over yet. <laughs> and I think you had a really nice analogy for the opposite of a feature factory, uh, which is a, a product garden. Mm. Um, and I love this analogy because I love gardening. Um, but tell, tell me more. How is how is the opposite more like a garden? Um, garden, yeah, it's, well, I love gardening too. I live in Tasmania, like we said. It's it's wonderful place outside. But I was thinking more like um, it could be a, a city park or an amusement park, anything that people come to, to, to visit. One, you know, when you think about factory, you think about heavy machinery, belching smoke, polluting the environment. Um, a lot of modern factories aren't necessarily like that, but that's kind of the mental image. And when you think garden, you think, oh, it's lovely flowers. It's calm and relaxing with the birds tweeting. But the point is, people come to a garden to um, have fun, right? Do a job. <laughs> have a birthday party for the kids, entertain themselves by riding a bike, um, do some fitness on the, on the equipment, whatever, whatever it might be, right? And you want them to keep coming to the garden. So you build what they want in there, right? Uh, you try to say, okay, we have lots of families. So build, build, let's build a barbecue area. Or um, there's another park, you know, on the other side of town with a really cool um, BMX off-road track. So there's, they have a community. We will not compete in that kind of thing um, because all the hardcore people are going over there. So, But on the other hand, we can maybe build a learning track for bicycle for you know little people still learning how to how to cycle and 
it's a mental model. It's how to think about it, right? Instead of thinking to yourself, I work in a factory, right? I put my clothes in the morning, do my nine to five and, and some sort of mechanical output work. You're trying to think, okay, how do I create engagement with a community? How do I get people to enjoy coming here repeatedly? And I think that's, that's the name of the game, right? The, the name of the game, the repeat business that we're trying to build. What are the the features of a of a product garden? We, you know, we know it's in a factory. The, it's something where people are just telling you, just build the next feature, just build the next feature, the next feature. Um, I get where you're going, but how would you define a product garden as the the as an alternative? Um, first thing I'd like to qualify. This is a mental model. It helps me think about what I do, and I thought it will help others as well. Um, it's not a framework, which is going to be the next dirty word out of the process. Um, it's if you constantly want to think about user engagement, right? Rather than trying to think about how can we build stuff that we can shove down their throat, think about how can we build something that they want to come, right? So when you start yourself from this point of view, the way that you engage with people, the, um, the stories that you tell yourself is the story that you tell to others. Um, and those others could be the stakeholders in your company and they could be the actual customers, right? It's just, you're coming from a place of, this is fun, this is good, this will help you do what you want to achieve in this, you know, wonderful, lovely weather weekend, um, or in this case, you know, solving your business issues. But you can also shift, slightly shift the conversation with your stakeholders internally, instead of saying just, you know, build this. You ask them, okay, why? What, what have you seen that helps? Um, what are we aiming towards? Can I get a little more context? And then you can work a little bit and say, look, we're seeing engagement over here, or we're seeing not as much engagement over there. Um, perhaps we can we can work on that. You can, <laughs> those founders and SMEs that I've spoken about in the in the, Beginning, they're convinced of, of their own vision, right? You can counter that, obviously, not by telling them, Marty Kagan said we shouldn't do it. That's a soapbox that doesn't <laughs> convince people. Uh, if only but, we could say that, right? <laughs> yeah, if only we could give everyone the book and say, Judas, that. But um, if you really pay attention to the language that you use, if you're open and curious and, and transparent about what you're seeing out there in the world. And by curious, I mean being honestly curious. If the SME sees something, if it's the founder of the company, they've been in this field potentially a lot longer than you. They see the market a lot better than you might. They might see something that you don't. So try to find out what they see that you don't. Once you do that, once you try that, you can give them the data to see, yes, this is working. Or this isn't quite working or look, we, we're seeing this growth of data over here. So famous saying about some university, I think, where um, people were designing a garden and decided uh, what, where should we put the path? And the dean told them wait till winter. And in the winter, there were paths in the snow. And they said, you see those? That's where people walk, put the pavers there in summer. And it's kind of like that, right? You see where people are interacting with your company. You, have, you should have this data and say, okay, we're seeing the traction there. Right. We're seeing the market pulling us there. Let's let's make it easier for them. Let's put the pavers, reduce the friction, make it uh, make the experience better for the users. And I think that's is how how you can take the stakeholders and, and the whole company on on this journey to moving from a factory to a um, to a garden to other things. 
Um, one of the things I kind of love about the garden analogy as well is this uh, image of product managers being gardeners themselves and being kind of caretakers of the the things that they've planted <laughs> um, or I guess the, the services that they've built if it's like a little mini bike roundabout or whatever. Does the analogy kind of extend out for you in that way to like the marketplace and the market conditions and the environment and, you know, seeing some things fail and and then die and then some things kind of thrive? Yeah. Or is it sort of more limited to just like creating a, a, a space that encourages people to come back? This is why I love storytelling for business, because this isn't an aspect I actually thought about. Right. So creating this analogy, this story for the business, so let's use a garden. You say, oh, well, gardeners actually watch things die and prune them out because it just doesn't work. There's no emotion in it. Right. And I think that's mm -hmm. a really good something that you can add to this mental model. Right. Um, if something doesn't work, it's just dead wood. Right? Just remove it. Don't don't feel emotional. Don't get um, uh, invested in a particular solution in a particular area. You know, even if it was your favorite plant, it's dead. It's time to you know take it out, put something <laughs> new in its place. So, so my wife and I have this ongoing discussion around gardening because we look at our garden very differently at times. You know, she looks in and says, "Why haven't you weeded?" And I said, uh, uh, "Looks good to me." And that's when I found that the, the official definition of a weed is simply a plant that you don't want. So from this perspective, when you, I'm, I know I'm torturing the metaphor here in a big way, but in trying to put together a garden that is welcoming, that is nice, people sometimes might have different perspectives on things. How do you decide what to prioritize and how to make sure that the garden is the right kind of garden? Um. This is really product strategy one-on-one, -on -one, right? Um, you have a vision in your head of what the garden should be, right? What, how should people interact with it? How should people engage with it? Um, and it's all about engagement, right? And then you have your statistics of where you are. Where's the, you know, where are the users clicking? What are they doing? What is the... Um, Wind loss analysis tell us about features that we have or don't have that, that um, the users want to do it. And then you think, okay, if we are here and we want to get there, how do we prioritize? Where do we focus? And it's focus like any other focus. If you try to build the whole garden up front, you have a massive task, then that's how public works are done. If you have a, uh, you know, a large area and you say, okay, let's, let's focus on the northeast corner. Let's put on some trees and let's put a slide. Let's see how it goes. And, you know, people, oh, look, people are going there. Let's put a swing next to the slide. Um, then, you know, in a B2B, let's, you know, people are using our chat message more than using our game. Let's, let's build a chat message out. So um, it's not, it's not anything new. It's just the way that you think about follow the engagement, right? Follow where people, it's all about people, even, even traditional supply chain found out during the pandemic that it's all about the people, right? You cannot run a supply chain of however well your factory is run if you don't have drivers on the ground. Um, and if you're trying to sell digital products, it's always purely about the people and what they need to do, what they're trying to get done, what, it, what the experience that they're trying to get out of your products. And 
I've seen a lot of companies, especially in the enterprise, saying, oh, well, we don't have a lot of users and, and our product is super complex, so we don't need to invest in the user experience. They'll use it anyway. And it's like, yeah, you'll be disrupted. <laughs> so yeah, follow the engagement. Are you ready for Mind the Product San Francisco conference happening in June? If you've been before, you're probably feeling a bit like me, desperate for your MTPCon fix. And if you're new to it, this is the product conference not to miss. If you're a product person looking to advance your career, expand your network, get inspired and bring the best products to market, then this is for you. So what can you expect? Well, MTPCon is known for their epic lineup of speakers, renowned product leaders with invaluable insights and tactics to share. They cover a range of exciting topics that will challenge and inspire you to step up as a product manager, always with something tangible to take away into your own product practice. And don't let location hold you back. Even if you can't join in person in San Francisco, you can still be part of the action with their convenient digital only option. This event is a must attend for anyone seeking to elevate their product management game. Find out more and book your ticket at mindtheproduct.com slash Sam dash Francisco. So um, what's your experience been of moving from an environment where it's more sort of the feature factory type of setup and then more into this kind of garden type environment <laughs> it helped me in my uh, like i said in my own sanity i have seen sometimes the let's say the upper limit of that when you try to push a company and you just you've reached a certain limit and the company is just not ready to move and you keep trying um at that point i also changed companies but i think the impact is noticeable um, and it's noticeable whenever you try to implement a product-led culture right when you say okay look we have this thing this thing is good but let's listen to our users right let's see where our users want to interact with the thing i'm using a garden analogy and, and a lot of other people are using different analogies and the only thing that doesn't work is just like I said, the soapbox standing there and, and shouting at people, you need to do that because this is right. Well, um, the things that do work are um, language, metaphors. When you're trying to enact a organizational transformation, you change the language that you talk about things. Um, and that slightly changes perceptions of how people think about their work and how they think about themselves, how they think about the company. And you can, as you try to do it, you will get resistance. Organizational transformation is bloody hard. But I think this this persistence will let you know where you can get to, what's the outcome of that. And you can start, you can slowly start to see the shift. You can start to see people thinking a little bit differently. Let's not just think about closing the deal. Let's try thinking about, you know, closing the right deal. No, that won't happen immediately, and no, that won't happen to every deal. Because if you know uh, the ten million dollar customer comes and says jump, and the salespeople and the CEO will say how high. Um, <laughs> but for the majority of them, you can say, look, we're kind of thinking the product is going in in 
that direction, not not in that. Um, so it's going to get a little bit harder to to prioritize that customer um, because our engagement and show the data. Always, always show the data because you know that's something everybody understands because you can usually tie down um, a dollar value to the to the engagement of, of users and say, okay. This area is more active. This area is more engaged. We want to double down on that. Um, we want to grow it out. We want to, to plant more trees or whatever it, it may be around it. And sometimes, sometimes it will succeed. You will see, you will see people start to shift their thinking around it. And that's, that is what being product led is all about, right? And sometimes it, they'll be like, yeah, no, <laughs> we still have to close those <laughs> deals and, and yes. okay. Do you find that, um, you know, when you're up against changing the culture of a business that like generally when we talk about this on the podcast is usually associated with like a C-suite or quite often the CEO or the founders that are resistant to this because, you know, the culture of a business is set typically by the the kind of the founding team or or the C-suite. Do you find that it is, you know, it's generally these people that you spend most of your time kind of convincing or persuading or storytelling to, or can it be that you have to do this work with the wider business as well? Um, surprisingly, no, um, it's not just a suite. Sometimes it's very much from the grounds up that you need to change things. Um, I've literally worked in a company with this, we had an ECO and he handed everybody the empowered book. Um, and it's like, it's great. It's just <laughs> gonna take a while. So, yeah. um, and, I, and I worked obviously in, in the other way where um, you like really want to hand them that empowerment. It's like, let me work. Um, <laughs> I'd say that you cannot do it without support from the C suite. So, you need to manage up first to get that backing. But even with support of um, SEO changing an organizational culture takes a lot of time. When you have teams um, of engineers um, globally distributed or not, um, however large they are, but you're talking a large number of people changing their perception how they used to work. If the say previous management was all about let's get the numbers done for this quarter, let's you know let's make our, our balance sheet looks good, uh, let's close those deals or, or no, we can't keep you on the payroll. People get used to the, yeah, okay, we're just going to do what you tell us. <laughs> we're going to do it exactly like you tell us. Um, and never mind that the whole agile movement started by people get, getting blamed for being building what they were asked to build and then told this wasn't the right thing. Um, but then if people are so used to that, um, you can't just hand them a magic, pound, a magic wand, tell them, you're empowered, go research the market and follow your, your tunches. And they're like, yeah, no. I don't know what to do with this. So it is a, a different type of conversation where you have to build a context around it, give them the tools and um, the habits of working with the market and the product together to um, to build something, to build an, an engagement. That's why I drag um, engineers on, on calls with me um, and do everything I can to, to get them closer to the market. And I've done that even when I was just a product manager. And I've done it back then from purely self-interested activities. I figured that um, if he ask, if an engineer asks me a question that takes me a five-minute answer and I give them an hour-long lecture, 
they will understand the context, they will understand what they need to build and how they need to build it, and they won't ask me again. So they'll have some free time afterwards. <laughs> but <laughs> building these kind of enlightened teams helps. And this is sort of a grassroots movement, and it helps you get everyone aligned on, on the same direction that you're trying to, to go to. In, in the article that you wrote for Mind the Product on this topic, one of the things that you suggested is that uh, we should be a little bit subversive in our communications. And I'm curious about what you mean by that, because uh, what you've talked about so far it doesn't sound subversive. It sounds engaging, but uh, I think you might have a, a nuanced take on that. Um, it's subversively helpful. <laughs> um, first, I said, approach everything with curiosity. Um, if, if you're being told to build a feature, there might be a good reason for it, right? Um, it might be a deal that's going to mean, you know, we have more than three months of salary in the bank and, and the company can keep going on. Then um, when you know that, yes, we need to close this deal in two months or we're not going to go past that, it puts a different slightly different spin on, on things. But um, once, once you have the context of the founder, you can... There are other ways to be really, really helpful around the company. A lot of one of the problems of feature factories is that says you stand in the corner in the machinery room and you crank your little handles and you get get us the features out and, and stay there in the corner that no not the that the customers that come to the showroom don't see you. Um, but getting in front of customers is the single most important thing that a product manager can do. Right. So how can you get in, in front of product manager in front of customers when, when you're told not to? Well, salespeople run demos. Um, oh, can I help you run a demo? There's a new feature, and, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of run into the demo. Or uh, the support people, customer success people have a post-installation problem because it's a bit complex. Oh, I can help you. I know. Just I'll just come on a on a customer call and help you. Um, and and some if it's a consumer good you can also go out uh, if it's small B two B you can find out where your users hang uh, off channels and just chase them. But even in enterprise software there are ways that you can find those people, do the demos, sit in, um, ask to be helpful, and that gets you in front of customers. And I found that um, I'll run a demo that I can do with my eyes closed, but at the beginning I'll say, oh look. Um, can you just give me a brief exam, uh, explanation of your environment and how you work? And you'll get like a five, 10 minute conversation where the customer will give you their context. And that is pure gold that's absolutely worth the rest of the hour that will just give my spiel on, of the demo um, or run through a post installation and whatnot. And then, then when you're trying to um, shift mindset, you can again go to the executive. Look, um, yeah, we, we have those 20 page requirement documents, but I've, I've written a couple of one pages about ideas. So can you help me flesh them out, um, you know, before, before we build the whole 20 pages and you just give them, you know, a lean canvas or, or whatever one page template that, that works for you and you back it up with data. And you show them, look, I found this data and, and this is sort of an idea. How do you think about it? And, and people start seeing, Okay, maybe you know I don't need to spend writing a twenty-page document or, or expecting you to write a twenty-page document when we can get the conversation going a lot sooner. Okay, so I want to take it back to the garden. <laughs> um, I really just gonna like try and get as much out of this analogy as possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's there for. Um, okay, so in the garden we have to deal with weeds and pests. 
sometimes bugs. Uh, but sometimes bugs are good, but in this case, not good. <laughs> so just thinking about like how this applies kind of in the garden analogy, but also, you know, then translates into, into your work and your kind of product culture. Like what are the weeds and the pests in the product culture, um, that you're trying to create and, and how might you address them? Uh, I think they're literally called bugs in both cases for a reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the the main concept, um, like we said before, is removing the deadwood. Right? If you don't keep pruning, um, if you don't keep removing the broken stuff, then people won't come to it. If you have a, a forest and half the trees are dead and you keep planting new ones without removing the old ones, People are going to see, well, this is kind of ugly, right? Or if you have a playground and you have that original slide, which is rusty and a bit pokey, and people say, I'm not going to take my children there. I don't care that you have a very nice swing next to it. They might try that slide and then scratch themselves and get tetanus, right? If you don't polish the product, if you don't build in quality into it, if it's not a good experience overall, if you neglect things, if you have, oh, that was a good idea at the time, it didn't work out, but you know, we had that one user who's still using it, so we left it in, and all the other customers keep trying to poke it and then get cut, um, people are going to have a bad experience. Um, or if it's not bad, they're going to have a blah experience. And that is not the engagement that we want. You want people to really want, you want people to be excited about using your product, right? This is why the importance of design comes through so much because as product managers, we tend to think that we understand the, the customer so we can design an experience for them, but we haven't been trained as experience design and it shows. So, and I'm guilty of that myself too. So, um, I've designed things for myself and, you know, and you later it's like, yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> Why did I ever think that was a good idea? So put the design in, put the the quality in by constantly polishing it. I've seen in, in corporates um, a lot of, oh, this is a, an argument I'm not going to take. It's a hill I'm not going to die on. Um, this is the one thing that you really need to, to fight for, this removing of the deadwood, this finishing up what you started. And if it doesn't work, kill it right it's um i think it's it's the number one thing that you can help long term for engagement in your product you can um if you're the product manager of a team that's another way of being subversive can help because you just ask the engineers how long do you think it'll take you okay so we're going to tell everybody it's going to take three times that because we know it's going to take you twice that amount and the other increment will just reserve for some polish that um that we otherwise won't get the time to do Mm. Not that I would ever advocate lying to my managers who might be listening, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've we've covered the deadwood aspect before from a different angle, or at least a different metaphor mm. of killing zombies and killing zombie features and things like that, <laughs> yeah. um, which is you know not quite as nice sounding, but <laughs> maybe more exciting depending on which month in here. Yeah. I think I think that's the importance of storytelling when you just keep trying these analogies. Um, and a garden might not work for your company, right? Maybe it's the shooting zombies that works for your companies. Keep trying <laughs> telling stories until you get the message across. I think the killing zombies works if you're just trying to clear the deadwood aspect. But in terms of planning for the future and uh, making something that grows 
and the idea that you have to come back to something and see it grow over time and something that you plant now may only really blossom a little bit later on and things like that. Uh, I'm sure we could go all the way down with annuals and perennials and other thing, kinds of things like that too. But um, I'm curious, as as you've shifted the mindset in, in places that you've worked with this, what's gone well? And and where was it a challenge to to extend this metaphor to to get people to come along the journey with you? Um, it works well when people understand that you're trying to invite users to come back to have a good experience and and keep engaging with your product. And it doesn't matter if it's engineers or um, or CEO, right? CEO may care about the repeat business, like the ARR. Engineers usually don't find it as motivating as much as CEOs like to think it's motivating. Um, when you give people a different model that they can think about the work, about building engagement, that works well. I've seen it in, in some companies um, where there was, you can see start people to start to think about or being excited about watching the data, watching the user stories, not just the, the hero stories, but also the, the repeat engagement, the, the small anecdotes of people keep coming back because of that feature. And you can tell them, look, we've, we've built it. We know it, it it works. We know it got people excited. Let's let's build on something on top of that. Let's extend that. And that's connecting that on, on the more emotional level, I think, is where, where the success lies. Asaf, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been so nice to talk about gardening for half an hour. <laughs> My pleasure. Asaf, this was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. We've got links to your article, um, to some of the things you talked about today, and also to your novels in our show notes. So if anyone's interested, please check them out there. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. The product experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg based band POW, that's P A U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Mm-hmm.